Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. And of course, you can become Patreon supporters for bonus content, premium content, exclusive content. To do that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. The latest Patreon-only episode that I put up was two chats. The first one is with Aaron Mate and Rania Kalik, and that's about Glenn Greenwald leaving The Intercept, the state of left-ish media, and then a really funny chat with James Adomian and with Brianna Joy Gray, where we talk about everything from why we need to stop calling moderates moderates and instead call them corporate Dems to West Wing, and also some amazing impersonations by James. The Patreon-only before that was with Matt Chrisman. He has the Kush Log, and he is one of the hosts of Chapo Trap House. Another Patreon-only episode you can look forward to is a chat that I had with Trevor Beaulieu of Champagne Sharks. So you can get those and more on patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. On today's show, Jack Allison and I talked to Chuck Rocha and Linda Sarsour. Chuck Rocha was a Bernie 2020 senior advisor, and he's the author of Teal Bernie, the president of Solidarity Strategies, and a contributor to places like the New York Times, MSNBC, The Hill, and CNN. We also talked to Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour is a Palestinian Muslim American organizer, a former surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign, and the author of We Are Not Here to Be Bystanders, a memoir of love and resistance, which is really good. She's the co-founder of Until Freedom and was co-chair of the 2019 Women's March. She's also a former executive director of the Arab American Association of New York and the co-founder and executive director of Empower Change, the first Muslim online organizing platform. Jack Allison is one of the hosts of the Struggle Session podcast with great friend of the show, Leslie Lee. He's also the host of Jack AM, the Twitch show. By the way, at one point, Linda Sarsour says that she read something that said that Mitt Romney was asked to lead health and human services in the Biden administration, and that's actually false. But it was going around a lot and being cited a lot because some either satirical or just totally dishonest website printed that that had happened, but it didn't. But I'm keeping it in with the warning that's not true just because there's some funny stuff that's said about it. How's We're it live. going, everyone? We are live. Headphones, alt mic. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm 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 good. You know, I'm good. It's good to be back. We live, Jack. You know, it wasn't clear, but you know what happened this week? We Weekend, we beat weekend. fascism. It's over. We restored democracy. We America's back. You know, we restored democracy. This is fine. You know, I saw people I saw people posting the this is fine meme, you know, the really? dog in the fire, but without any fire, you know, because that, that is a joke the, or is, are you serious? Or is that a joke? I saw someone post that. I did. No. see. You know, what the hell is her name? Got to put on so, lipstick, guys. Yeah, somebody posted that. Anyway, it's it's wow. all over. The nightmare's over and uh, we're we all good last. now. Everything's yeah. good. Everything's <laughs> everything's going to be all right. Don't yeah. worry about a thing. Feel free uh, to check out. Actually, that is truly my feeling about the election is that, you know, liberals promised that they would check out after this. And so I really hope that they do. I mean, like if they please would keep their promise and also stop voting would be really good. Also, stop entering the discourse. We don't need you in the discourse anymore. They they said they were going to go back and stop ignoring, go back to brunch. Uh, It's time. It's time for that to happen. It is time for that to happen. You know, we live in a world where now checking out, you have to be doing it to have brunch you have to check out 
No, not right. check out. Order in, I guess. Uh, I guess you have to order in. Well, yeah. you know, this has been a controversial stance of mine, but this is why I also think we need to open up immediately is because liberals need to get back to brunch. We need them oh, out of politics. Right. And so unfortunately, I know it'll hurt a lot of people, but we need the cities open again. We need brunch open uh, so that liberals can go to it and leave everybody else alone. <laughs> yeah, and be quiet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, you know, Trump said it was going to be open for Easter. Let's open it for now for the libs. Now, um, let's go. Let's go for the election. Haven't uh, the Republicans kept the House? I mean, or, or, or I'm sorry, they kept the Senate. They kept the uh, Senate. We well, lost seats in the House. In the House, but we still right. have the House, have right? The house. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what it um, is. Okay. Which is why Nancy Pelosi we'll have it less. We'll just have it less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Use all the arrows in her quiver. And also, right. we have, um, we may have the, the presidency. Senate, but we got the presidency. And That's big. yeah. Did you watch the we I, I had Trevor Bilio on last night, but did you watch the uh, to do an emergency, an emergency live stream about the Republic? Did you watch sure. Biden and, and um, Kamala's speech? You know, I actually did the very classic, you know, old school American thing of I listened to it on the radio. Uh, I actually did not watch it. I saw the images of it afterward, but I was picking up my wife. And so I, I listened to it. You were picking uh, up uh, your wife with excitement. So you couldn't watch the TV. No, yes, I was, I was throwing her up in the air with so much excitement uh no she went to visit uh, a friend on the patio when i was going to drive to pick her up uh, uh at that time what's the patio just her well she went to her friend's patio oh, her for a socially distanced you know like fucking... your patio i was like is it your house no, that she, far she away from the patio another, you have to drive she, right. she went to another patio right, to, another to have a socially patio. distanced you know opp hangout. yes an opp, OPP. Yeah. I and did listen, that. though, to the to both speeches. Um, and you know what? I, I am very, very interested. I'm very excited for this future of civility and decency. And, you know, I don't know what the plan is to get us there, but, but uh, we're, we're that there. seems to be the core plank of what the Biden presidency is going to be all about is no more cussing, decency, and everybody being nice to each other. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. Let's go. Let's do it. I just realized <laughs> the core plank, Jack, keep yeah. planking. Good for your core. There's oh, yeah. So much. It's planking all coming together. It is, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think it makes sense that you watch, yet you heard, you listen to it, you didn't watch it, because what is a better symbol of kind of American decency than listening to mm -hmm. the radio? Oh, sure. Almost has an old school FDR vibe to it. Well, you know, it is true. What they say. Yeah. Sometimes you listen to it and, you know, different things connect with you than, you know, than if you watched it. Right. Uh, and so I was able to really, really listen to how there was not a thing being said at all in right. either speech. Uh, I didn't see the white suit that people were talking right. about and how Kamala had a white suit. Right. I just heard nothing being said at all. I basically listened to white noise for like 20 minutes in the car. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was that. And, you know, it's interesting. They did an uh, uh, SNL, by the way. Did you see the SNL? Um, I'm, I'm opting out. I'm opting out of out, SNL. Yeah. I, I, I just simply can't do it anymore. What, what was amazing to me about the SNL opening uh, sketch, cold open, whatever it's called, is that they're so bad. Like Jim Carrey is brilliant, but he was not very good at Biden. The He's only doing something weird with Biden. It's not good at all. Mm. The only person who did a remotely decent fairly good i would say impersonation is um rudolph maya rudolph maya rudolph as, maya as, rudolph kamala. as kamala maya was the mm -hmm. only good impersonator she's pretty good at the she does the 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 hands like the hand movements the facial expression and the voice is pretty good too 
But like, I just really don't. I I thought by, who who was the guy playing Wolf Blitzer is really bad. I don't know. Really I, bad. I, 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 oh, right, you, know. you don't watch it. Jim Carrey sucked, and then Alec Baldwin is so overrated. I saw he that. held a yeah. pa- a paper at the end that said, "You're welcome." Oh yeah, actually, <laughs> um, uh, the you know what's funny is the that's really funny. Owen Higgins tweeted that and it was like uh, major uh, peak uh, Lincoln Project energy. Jesus, that is the most, yeah. that is like so embarrassing. Man, I just, SNL, I think it needs to be done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm really hoping that post-Trump, like, we'll find out that, like, maybe a lot of this media stuff needed to go. You know what I mean? Maybe Trump was the last sort of gasp for a lot of these, like, right. TV shows and shit like that. I was just amazed, again, by how bad it was. I, I mean, yeah. there, I don't have anything that deep to say. Um and I just want to give, by the way, people, I want them to know that. So I'm really tired. Yeah. I mean, well, I been, think everyone's been up all week. You I don't even know why, though. Week. I didn't like, even. I'm awake. I'm awake yeah. all night. All this shit. Yeah. The Lincoln Project is dangerous. Thank you, Daniel. We're going to review that um, because we talked about I talked about that a little bit on Twitter. But, um, you know, I just want you to know that we have some amazing guests coming on tonight. Yeah. First, we're going to be talking to Chuck Rocha, who uh, was a senior Bernie advisor. He also. Um, calls himself he self-identifies as mexican redneck and he's uh wrote a really good book i'm not just saying that you know when people come on you have to say it was a good book but it's really well written and engaging and it's called tio bernie and uh we're gonna look at the cover of that soon and stuff but hello hey there hey sister hey how are you what's going on i ain't drunk yet so it's good Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, baby steps. Uh, well, you know, we drink on the show. Feel free to drink, by the way. Don't worry, I often, I'm way ahead of yourself. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you're drinking, but you're not drunk yet. Got it. <clears throat> this is my uh, co-host, by the way, Jack Allison. Hi there. Nice hey, to Jack. meet you. Nice to meet yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. So how are you feeling? Are you exhausted? Are you tired? What are your uh, feelings and thoughts on where we are right now? You know, it's been a process. It's been... Um, I was thinking about it. I was telling my fiance tonight, I was like, it, it may be one of the craziest years I've ever had. I mean, doing what we've done and with Bernie and, you know, just kind of dedicating my life to that. And then I've told people this and they don't understand you two get it because you're kind of political animals. But like when you're in charge and then we were all told to go home and then we lived through the consolidation and the losses there at the end when I knew we were really close to being the nominee. And I wrote about it in the book. I know that's why you're shaking your head. And uh, we were so close. And then I had to go home and then we had to lay everybody off. And then, you know, I'm an old hack at this and I've been, not that I'm good or bad. I've just done this a long time and messed up a lot. So I've done it for 31 years. And it's really hard when you know, especially these Bernie kids, because they really like, they're all in, right? And so they look at me as the old goat. I tell them what to think about and what, you know, don't take it too hard this way. So not being able to hug them, tell them you're going to win another election. What we're doing here is really special in this movement. This Mm -hmm. movement will live beyond Bernie Sanders. What y'all are doing, it'll set the next stage. Like all of those things just don't come across in a tweet. Those things just don't Mm -hmm. come across in, you know, on a Zoom call with a bunch of staffers, right? Like it means something when you're embroiled in a battle Every day when you're screaming across the room at somebody when we were before COVID, right? When we would like grab people and figure out what we were going to do, right? So that is just, that was the hardest part. And then everything else is kind of like worked itself out, campaigns. We beat Donald Trump, yay. And so like the camp, my firm, I own the Solidarity Strategy. So we, I was a consultant before, still am. I own the largest person of color on political consulting firm. And I left Bernie not having any clients. 
thinking, man, oh, this is wow. going to be a tough year because I oh, spent the last yeah. year pitching, but I was Bernie. And so I went over and kind of went all in. If you read my book again, I talk about building out the campaign and stuff. And so I would just been blessed uh, because we had more work than we knew what to do with. And then none of it had to do with Bernie or any of Bernie candidates. It was just like being at the right place at the right time. And uh, there was an ungodly amount of money out there. And, you know, luckily enough, people called us and wanted to hire us good people. Like we didn't work for any candidates because they'd already hired all their people. But people right. like Indivisible, Move On, some of the environmental world, a lot of the Latino world. Then I created New Estral Pack. So it really kept me busy. Yeah. And we're going to obviously talk about Biden and, and Trump and where we are right now. But just kind of looking back for a second, what insights do you have about um for people who haven't read the book, uh, what are your kind of the most important insights you think you have about what went wrong, what could have happened, um, if there was any way to deal with the the um, rad, uh, moderate consolidation? You know, I, Katie, I see you stuck PTSD. Um, I think back about it a lot, right? And when you're as insecure as I am about lots of things. You constantly, you get up earlier than everybody else. You work longer than everybody else. And you've read my story. You know what my personal story is. I'm not the average political consultant, not just because of the way I talk. But so because I'm insecure, I constantly think about what we could have done better, right? Little things here, little things there. You know, there's a big part that Faz and everybody likes to talk about us. Should we have attacked right after Nevada? And I was in those meetings with, would that would have made a difference if we really would have went in? At that point, I'd kind of backed out of the headquarters and I was in Nevada. And then nobody was going to South Carolina. They were all going to other states. And I just could not leave our South Carolina crew. So I flew to South Carolina, knowing we didn't have a good shot to win because I had to be the martyr, right? So I, I kicked myself should I have been in more of those meetings back at the headquarters where I could have had influence to say maybe we should have went on attack? Maybe there are a few other things. Other than that, we had played it right. And yeah. we were we were smart about the money that we spent. And the grassroots piece was always going to be there. And the strategic markers on on Super Tuesday, there wasn't just and for all you Bernie folks out there, there's just wasn't much we could have done differently with the consolidation. We knew if you read in the book, I talk about a meeting we had with Bernie a ye two years before he ran. Like right after we ran the first time, we all get together at Ari's apartment. We say, can we do this again? What should we be thinking about? And we always knew without her, her being Hillary Clinton, that we could not win this one on one with anybody because nobody was going to hate another candidate like mm -hmm. that they, did, they didn't like Hillary Clinton. That's why Joe Biden is the nominee now. Like we knew white people liked Joe Biden because we had polling to tell us that. So we needed a multi-candidate field of at least three. We needed four. And if we had four, we were always going to win this thing because we knew we could raise the money. We had the infrastructure. So that would be the only thing I could think of. The consolidation. And the funny thing is, is they knew what we knew. They knew they had to consolidate. Right. They knew they had to consolidate then. Because I had polling that showed we were ahead in every Super Tuesday state the day after Nevada. Wow. Yeah, that's it's yeah. just scary, but that's just the truth. I know people don't want to hear that, but I was in the room. This ain't somebody writing a medium post, yeah, sure. some random organizer <laughs> in Philadelphia. Like right. I was there. I mean, I saw it. We knew, right? It was. We don't like to think about winning. We were all like focused on doing our thing, but in the back of the mind, it's like. Oh, because we're all a bunch of radical lefties, we're not used to winning. So we were like, oh, holy shit, like we might actually can do this. Right. And so it was mm -hmm. very it was very grounding. Uh, it was very surreal. Uh, you know, I felt bad for, you know, Bernie and the road crew more than anybody. You know, I didn't have to be on the road with him all the time. I chose not to be. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, and, and like the folks that were just out there just pounding it every day. Mm -hmm. Like I really felt bad for those folks.
So could there have been, I mean, you're saying that from the beginning, you knew that if it was going if as a two person race, is it because like the, the media was, I mean, is that like accounting for how biased the media is against him? How, how, um, and uh, much the official DNC disliked him, or is that like even if they hadn't been a totally unfair playing ground, you think uh, he wouldn't have been able to beat one on one at th that early of a point? Yeah, anything would have been possible. I'm probably right. I'm probably a little old and crash to say that this couldn't happen. It just wouldn't have been easy. Yeah, in a one on one, we probably could have done it. We knew, and through the whole campaign, we just could not crack old people, and you know. Here's some here's your first part of Bernie knowledge behind the scenes is that people like to come at me because I'm the brown guy and say, well, why couldn't you do that for black people? And I'm like, well, we did everything we were supposed to do as organizers for black people. We had 100 black staff in South Carolina. They were there for eight months. It was led right. by a strong black woman. It was everything that organizing one on one says to do in the black community. How the community show up in the community, show respect in the community, spend money in the community. We spent eight million dollars. Guess what? Voters, black voters in South Carolina have one thing in common with old white voters in South Carolina, and that's that they're old. And guess who hates Bernie Sanders? Old people. Mm -hmm. So that was just something we knew we were going to have a trouble with from the beginning. And nothing that we did ever moved that number, whether it was white or black, uh, because old folks just didn't think he could win in the general. And so we would run tests. Mm -hmm. We would run ads. We right. would test because we were trying to move them. We knew we. But, Kate, to your point, if there was three or four people, we didn't need them. When right. it consolidated, because they're such a massive part of the Democratic primary structure, that's why Bernie always said, we got to have more people vote. We need to have young people vote. Right. We knew we needed something to off track that. So that's kind of yeah. the strategy behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Right. And what about the, the media's role in, I mean, because it's really interesting what you said about people. Well, there's hating Bernie and then there's thinking Bernie can't win. Right. Which are separate, which yeah. are different things. So I, I should have just it, said they didn't think he could win. They liked yeah. it. They were yeah. Like, yeah. He can't win. Right. right. Which is a big, a big, mm -hmm. I mean, the reason that's such an important distinction, I think, is because it really sheds potential light onto the role the media had in, right. in that narrative, carrying water for the narrative that he's just not electable. And like I, I brought this up last night, I think, but like I will never forget that story in the Hill. The headline said something like um, uh, Trump slightly leads Warren and Biden. And then you had to get into the article and multiple paragraphs in when you saw the opposite is the reverse is true for Bernie Sanders, who slightly leads Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's not like a mistake. That's not a nor was it like a one off mis, um, misrepresentation. I mean, the fact that that narrative was clung to so strongly, uh, it, it, you kind of can't not look at that. Right. When you're looking at what happened. That's true. And, and you have to separate out um, this primary from a regular election. And you can yeah. tell now that momentum means something in a presidential campaign momentum means something in a presidential press katie to your point in a primary because they're so dialed in they're primary voters so they're like all of us we vote we listen we kind of know right there's not a whole bunch of uninformed people who show up in a primary like they kind of know what they're doing so to your point a, a media can't affect that newspapers can affect that people read that stuff and they're like oh well maybe you know and they don't really to your point they don't hate him they don't think anything bad they're just like mm, we just really got to beat donald right. trump whatever it takes to beat right. donald trump right so so it does really matter in your point yeah even though the polling showed that he was competitive 
Right. They didn't want to believe that. Anytime you have massive yeah. change in the big right. infrastructure, again, I'm a party guy. I've been a Democratic Party guy since I was 19. The difference is, is that I never went to college and I was a precinct chairman and I've done grassroots my whole life. Right. But now I'm a big evil consultant, which is fine. Right. If that's what you think I am, you kiss my ass. But that's what I do every day. So right. I'll tell you that it's just different in the primary. And, yeah. and in the primary, what killed me is Joe Biden won states where he had no staff. He won states where we had been working with a couple right. staff. Now, we, we didn't have yeah, a yeah. huge, you know, but that showed that, the, that that proved to me no matter what we had done, we couldn't have changed anything because the momentum was already there and it was baked in for those last little bits. So that, you know, we were going to right. lose. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that like the media ha hates Bernie. A lot of the media hated Bernie. It hates him. And you saw that with Mimi Roca. He makes my skin crawl. I don't mm -hmm. even know what it is, but he makes my skin crawl like that is contempt. But then I think that contempt shapes the coverage so that it, it and tricks people into thinking that he's just not winnable, not electable. Sorry. So there's some people who hate him who I think maybe are lost causes who are elites. And then there are a lot of people, I think, who are just like regular people and who could have right. voted for him or would have had the media not all decided, you know. And there's a lot of operatives that I talk to who talk to me who would never tweet this, but are like they. They, they, they awe at what we could pull off because they obviously don't think Bernie could win in the general, but the amount of money we could raise from grassroots right. donors, mm -hmm. the way we could run a professional campaign at the same time as running a grassroots campaign. And let me explain that is that Bernie Sanders has millions of volunteers and we would put them together in a distributed organizing plan. And that's great. And that's wonderful. It's a backbone of what we do. But what people don't realize is what really made Bernie different is you had professionals like me who was in that we spent $44 million on TV. We spent millions and millions of dollars on mail. You can't do either one of those. You can in smaller races, but not in these big races. You've got to be mm -hmm. able to pull up. That was that's the nobody talks about this, but that's what really makes Bernie Sanders different. Other than you have an incredible candidate who stays on message, who's never going to mess up off his message. Like that's a godsend when you've worked with idiot candidates right. like me. But <laughs> being able to have a true grassroots army, but then also have the money to run a professional like. Who's a persuadable voter? How many times should we touch them? We should right. send them three pieces of mail. We should do a TV commercial. And then you layer on that, him just giving me free reign with the Latino program. And I just like went and burned a bunch of money, hired 200 Latinos. Like, we're going to do it like we did the black program. But this time, Latinos average age is 27. They reacted a lot differently to, to Bernie. What do you think the biggest like uh, myths are about the campaign that still remain? About um, the camp, yeah, about the primary, about the campaign, about Bernie's voters, about his support. I think that the biggest myth is that there's still Bernie broism. Like it, it was my it was my job, and you read about this in the book, is that I was put in charge early of the campaign. I write in the book about how I turned down the manager job and how I positioned myself to not have to deal with things that would trigger me because I have a temper and I'm not I got a low bar for bullshit, just like my boss did Bernie. So we had to be separated a lot of times. And so I would help hire the staff. Other folks, Ari and Fast, God bless them, would be on the road all the time and dealing with policy and that shit that I did nothing to do with. And because of that, the majority of the staff were women and people of color and people want to come at me about Bernie bros. And I'm like, you, the whole, de every department up here is run right. by a woman. Every department up here has a person of color, either the director or deputy director. And guess what? I make sure we pull them together once a week and we share information. And I go sit down with the field department and I'm with Becca and I'm with Claire once a week, at least if not five times a week talking through field. So field is integrated with politics was integrated with others. That's why people could never understand why we didn't have a Latino department.
But we we, right. we, we massively won that vote, Chuck. You know, the establishment would say, how do you not have a department if you killed it? I'm like, because everything was interwoven. Because I had mm-hmm. come up in campaigns where they take women or brown or black people and they go, they silo you off, they give you no right. budget and they give you no power. And you really don't know what's going on in the overall campaign because you're the brown person. Or you're the black right. person a lot of times. Who made the, the the front cover, by the way, of your book of Theo Bernie? He's a, he's an amazing artist in L.A. called Lalo L A L O. He's a famous cartoonist. If you're watching right now or listening, Lalo Alcarez is he's the one who draws all of the Trump cartoons where he's a caricature. Yeah, and he is he's a Pulitzer nominated. Uh, just a, he's, he lives in East LA. He's like La Raza to the bone. And like, we were on doing something together for like some Latino thing. And I was like, I'm writing this book and I want the cover to be really different. And I'm like, what would it take? And he's like, Chuck Rocha. Cause my, I used to put everywhere Brown consultants matter. And he's really been fighting for Mexican artists in LA to have right. a voice in, in Hollywood. And so he was like, I'll do it. Don't you worry. I'll do it. So he not the cool thing about that cover that you're looking at now is lots of the people in that audience are my family, my staff, friends. Oh, wow. I give him my mama's picture. She's in there. My twin grandboys are at the bottom uh, on, oh, on wow. the crowd picture. So like he would draw people in like that. Um, and so it was really cool to put like my staff. I can see them now in there. And so, yeah, who's where <laughs> some I'm of the iterations screen. Let's see. Um, who do I see? Well, obviously you're there with Bernie and AOC. Um, yeah. Anyone you want to point Some out? Some of my staff. Yeah, you're not going to know any of these okay, people yeah. because they're my staff. But right. like in front of AOC, I see my fiance's picture, and then all oh, the nice. way at the bottom is uh, is my son and my grandboys. I got two twins. You can see behind me, actually in this shot. Uh, oh, nice. Two four year old uh, twin grandsons that I'm really Oops. proud of. Let's see. Where are they? Oh, they are. oh the I see there. The yeah, yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, that's really cute. Yeah. yeah, by the barcode. And that's my mom, my sister, and that's my son with a scraggly beard. Uh, so, yeah, he he, oh, he, nice. he took time to really draw it. And, uh, you know, he, he'd take, I sent him a bunch of crowd pictures. And so these oh, are nice. people from the Bernie crowd, from all the Latinos that would show up. So we would take pictures of it. All the way at the back, back there, it says Lalo for president at the top. Oh uh, yeah, and that, that so he put his stuff in there. And so anyway, it was great. Uh, it was great. Oh, here, right I just here? wanted something to be like, different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, where the, the side the is yeah. Lalo. Lalo. Yeah, that's his signature. So that's kind of Got where it. you know he drew this. I'm just going to call up uh, an image from your book because it was kind of amazing. You have you start off with a bunch of uh, headlines, selected headlines with help from Latino voters. Bernie Sanders hits the Nevada jackpot. Why Arizona's young Latino voters are fired up about Sanders? The political revolution. Um, you can just see all these Biden versus Sanders, how one Latino family in Iowa is thinking about tonight's Democratic caucus. Um, as Latino clout rises, Sanders leads field and courting them. Bernie Sanders, key to success in Democratic primary, organizing black and Latinx communities. Then you have in Spanish, Sanders figura como el consentido de los hispanos en Nevada. Because Chris Matthews made me, par- I know you're supposed to say Nevada, so obviously in Spanish <laughs> it's Nevada, but... Um, Anyway, what's interesting about this is like, these are not um, like familiar. I forgot, Katie, you work in the press. So you like, why didn't I see any? There's a hundred headlines there and you never saw any of them. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I saw some of them, but it's amazing how, how like these should have been all over. But what's amazing is that like so often the headlines were not about this. The headlines were about his problem with black voters, with Latinx voters, with Latino voters. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I mean, 
as as you were saying, and we were saying there is real contempt for him. But what was this frustrating to you? Would you like I got so frustrated? I didn't work on the campaign. And every day I would see a headline. I would get so angry because it would be one misrepresentation or another. And like it was. Yeah. Then when it, I went on these people's shows. Did you want to like throw things at them? <laughs> I did. And, you know, at the end and the hardest thing for me, Katie, is that. I'd run this program with, again, I keep saying, ah, me and 200 Latinos ran this program. And people look at me and like, Chuck, you were this Latino director. I was like, no, no, no. I I just spent extra time doing that. My job was to run the whole campaign with Jeff and Faz and Ariana and all of us. Like we ran the campaign. I was in charge of the white people work too. We did more work in English, but that's fine. Like I I would get past that, which would really aggravate me because again, they want to put us in a silo and think that I just run brown stuff. Um, But what but I couldn't talk about the program, right? So I had to cons- I had to keep it a secret and not tell the press until I'll never forget. I, I sat down with my staff and I'm like, "We're two weeks before the caucus." And I'm like, "I'm going to I'm going to take this genie out of the bottle and I'm going to start calling reporters myself." Like I didn't ask Ariana, I didn't ask the press team. I just like I'm going to make sure that if Bernie Sanders does not get credit for anything, it's this. So yeah. I start going, "Hey, I got a scoop for you. Hey, let me tell you." I've spent $2 million talking to Iowa Latinos and they'd be like, what? And they're looking for something to write about that's different. And so they, I fed them that stuff hook, line and sinker until it became this huge thing, but it still right. wasn't talked about anywhere. It was just like the Latino reporter at the times, the Latino right. reporter at the wherever. Right. And mm-hmm. so I would see it like those headlines I showed you, I swear to God, I do have a hundred headlines that we catalog. So I would have them for the book and forever to tell people when they come to me and say, Latinos don't vote. I'm going to say, yes. And we got them to do it for Bernie Sanders. So you don't think of as the second coming of Cesar Chavez every day. You have to go and introduce him. And then he is a lot like Cesar Chavez actually. Right. So that was the cool thing. And uh, yeah. And then I have to, I've saved all those headlines. So, you know, if one day I can write a book about what, how dishonest the media was about the fact that that was happening. <laughs> <have> some proof. <laughs> um, and when did you decide, how do you decide when it was time to um, suspend and when it was time to concede and when it was time to endorse and was there division and debate over that? To be honest, that is a Jeff Weaver and Faz, you know, they were with him. They, you know, Bernie trusted me. I got to spend some quality time with him a lot. But in those instances, like there was, I talk about when Bernie had his heart attack in the book and about the role I had to play and how I took charge of the headquarters and I talked to the staff and I was breaking things down. Like I was the nuts and bolts day to day. Like who's, you can't run the campaign and run the 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 candidate, especially Bernie Sanders, because he is smart as a whip. He reads all the time. He's constantly yeah. coming at you. And he would call fast 20 times a day, you know, whether it was good or bad, mostly bad. And I talk about that. I know after watching what Faz went through, God bless him, that and I knew we'd pick the perfect person because he's just so level headed and he's smart. And I was like, I would have gotten fired within the first four weeks because like somebody called me and start screaming at me at 10 o'clock at night ain't going to work. Right. And I love Bernie Sanders. I jump on in front of a car for him every day. So I was just not in that meeting at the end. Katie, to be honest, it was Jeff and it was fast. And they were having those. And I would talk to Jeff a lot, but I was literally trying to shut down the campaign. So when we would lay off people in a state and then move it to a super Tuesday state and then figure out all of that nuts and bolts, like I was having to figure out how much staff we needed meeting with Claren Becca, how much field team do we need if we're going to run a real distributed program? Cause we've only got four weeks here and how many staff do we really need there? Right? So somebody had to be doing that. And so that's kind of the role I chose to play. Thank God. So I didn't, they didn't tell me or I wasn't in that meeting. 
And you give a shout out in your uh, early on in the book to uh, friends of the show, Nina Turner and Brianna Joy Gray, um, which is great. And want to know, you know, we mentioned you mentioned early, uh, earlier older voters and there was a division, it seems, between how hard to go on Biden. Um, and do you think mm-hmm. that had Sanders pushed the I was going to say narrative, but it's not narrative. It's the truth. It had he emphasized more Biden's position on Social Security, which he brought up during that last debate. But then Biden would deny it. And then Bernie would be like, oh, the go to the YouTubes. You're going to go to the YouTubes. I'm like, no, bring the receipts. Like, say what he said when. Right. Um, yeah. And that was like I, the way I saw that debate in retrospect was like Bernie preparing Biden for Trump. Like he seemed frustrated. He was like, Joe, look, you're a good guy. You're an honest guy. Just don't don't just say don't say that. It was like he was coaching him. Um, was that as frustrating? Like, you know, it was like because he's too. Right. was that as frustrating for you as it was for me? It was. And you know what? People don't realize and they probably saw it if they know him as well as you know him, Katie, is that, you know, love him or hate him. Bernie is Bernie. And that's why I will never work for anybody else like Bernie. And Bernie likes Joe Biden. Like he is his friend. And that's just bottom line. He was not going to let, you know, as much as Faz or other folks or Jeff or other ones were like, you just take his knees now. He's down. Step on his neck. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Bernie's just like he's he that's Joe is his friend. I'll just leave it at that. I shouldn't speak out of school other than saying that was probably the reason. And because I knew that they were yeah. people in the room, Kitty, and I can confirm with you because I would talk to them about the pollster. So the polling that we did, the messaging we did, the mail that we did, the TV that we did, all of that stuff, like I had a part of that. Like I didn't do it all. But I, right. when we comes to running the campaign and I'd be like, we're still not going to go. And then we'd have a meeting about what it would mean to go negative and what we thought we would gain. But then when it would come down to somebody actually going and talking to the man, I think that's where I lost. I wasn't involved in that. Mm-hmm. And it never came back to be like, let's get the swords out. Right. So yeah. I'll just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get there's like a uh, there's um whatever. What is it like? There's tone. There's framing. I get him like not wanting to call him incredibly corrupt because that's that's whether or not it's true that there's something very personal with that. But like mm-hmm. the the Social Security stuff, that's not a character judgment. That's just record. Right. So I, as you know, stand so hard for Bernie. Um, but I have to say I was like why did you if only it had been someone who you didn't like as much as Hillary Clinton now to be fair he didn't hate Hillary Clinton he worked harder for her than he than Hillary did herself Mm -hmm. um in 2016 but you you could tell that he really had a soft spot for for Biden and it kills me sometimes because I'm like all right I'm not supposed to do this you should have been there you should have been there for two years in office you should have opened up the office you've been in (laughs) yeah because it is it's like it's like why you know this is a little weird for me to say but it's like you care about the issues you know that the issues are important and are you really going to out of your personal affection for biden let that get in the way of of getting yourself into the presidency um i was really i was actually on useful idiots when we learned that he had suspended his campaign i was really angry i had to take out some curses because i didn't want to seem like overly critical not for for like I was afraid to. I just felt bad because it wasn't a good representation of my feelings about Sanders. But I was pissed because it felt like it was self-indulgent. Like, okay, I get it. You have your feelings. And then you know how important these things are. You are so morally clear on everything. Medicare for all. Like that should not this should not get in the way. But was it was it also a fear? Do you think that he how much was it the pandemic and a fear of encouraging people to get out of the house and vote when we didn't really know how about how safe that was? And how much was it also, do you think, that he actually thought that that he would 
lose to, to Trump and Biden wouldn't? Oh, I don't think he thought he would lose to Trump. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I really don't. I think that the pandemic was just the worst thing. I think it was just like we didn't know what was going on. We were They were in limbo. I mean, I was outside of that meeting a lot. So um, it was interesting. And I was and thanks for mentioning in the beginning of the book, because um, I, I was very intentional about calling out Bree and calling out uh, Senator Turner on purpose. Yeah. You know, I got really close with them. And, and I talk about in the book hiring Brianna Joy Gray and uh, uh, the the senator brought me her like her and Ari said, this is a woman we're going to hire her. And I'm like, I, I'm I've been doing all that. I've not interviewed her yet. What do you mean we're hiring her? And I'm like, oh, right. Cool. And so I kind of tell that story. And uh, me and Brie became really good friends. Right. She's this young black woman. She's so impressive and she's yeah. smart as a whip. Right. Like, yeah, is, I'm yeah. smart about a lot of things like that mainly means drinking, eating and running campaigns. And then that's <laughs> yeah. it. I've, I've hit my right. peak. And uh but I, so she, I would, she learned and she taught me a lot. And now Senator Turner, we, we, we shared an office wall. Like she, we were in lots of battles together and she would be frustrated about things that she needed a campaign to do. And I was her guy. Like she yeah. would come to me and go, Rocha. She called me Rocha. Rocha. Cause I have no title. I'm not a Senator. She loved right, titles. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. SNT. Uh, but, Senator Nina right. Turner, SNT. Yeah. Right. Rocha. This is what I need. I'm like, don't you worry. I'm going to make that happen. Oh, I need this Rocha. We need to get these right. people in there. Or we'd be like, these people have to go. We got to get rid of them. You got to fire them. This is what they did. I'm like, okay, that'll be done or whatever yeah. it is. Like I was, so we got very, very close. And I thought I needed to make sure because of how much heat they get, because they do speak out a lot about yeah. lots of things that, and I think a lot of that is righteous is that I wanted people to know because I'm identified as left. I'm identified as a consultant. I'm identified as all these ways, right? And I needed people to know that I'm not going to, I'm never going to badmouth those two. And I think I, yeah. I highly respect them. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, a lot of fire. And mm -hmm. oh my God, Nina Turner, SNT, she is like an amazing, they're both amazing speakers in different ways. Like uh, right. Nina Turner sounds like a preacher and mm -hmm. uh, she is a pastor, right? And then Brie sounds like a kind of a philosopher, like a philosopher combined with like Dorothy Parker or something. <laughs> no, um, philosopher's probably fair. We're bringing in Linda Sarsour, the amazing organizer, who's by the way, speaking of speaking, her voice is just like, I, I love, even if, she said terrible things, which she doesn't. I feel like I would just love listening to her because the quality of her voice is really, really soothing. But um, we're going to bring in Linda Sorcerer, who is another person who was um, with the Bernie campaign. And she's also the founder of Empower, which is a really great organization. And she's an, uh, an organizer based in and from Brooklyn, like me. She's a native New Yorker. Hi, Linda. Hi, everyone. How are you? You know? I'm cautiously optimistic and, yeah. and, and, you know, moving in the world. Also love the accent, by the way, as someone who has, I think, I, do, I think, I guess I have a mild New York accent, but it's not like yours. Yours is like really, a little something going on. Yeah, a little something. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get both of your insights into what you think happened with this election, especially not to silo you guys, but especially in terms of the Muslim vote, the Latino vote especially because those things are so rarely written about or represented in the media in any fair or accurate way. Definitely want to get to ultimately what can be done to push Biden to the left. But before we do that, what happened in the in the general? Do you think he should have um, had a more decisive victory? I mean, I organized in six states um, and with a big focus on Michigan, because that's my second organizing home and home to the, one of the largest Muslim American communities in the country. And the bottom line, Katie, is the Democratic Party nor the Biden campaign um, 
used any field operation. They did not put any boots on the ground. They didn't knock on anybody's door. And my community would have told me if they knocked on their doors and they did not do that. And so what happened in this election is the people like me and many organizers, many of whom were supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders or maybe even Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, we sucked it up. We understand what was at stake in this election. You already know I had my own little run in with the campaign that while I was minding my own business in Louisville, Kentucky, um, but it's never about me and it's not about who I like. It's not about who likes me. It's about the most marginalized people that I organize with and for every single day. So that's what I saw on the ground. I saw it in Georgia. It was it was the black women running to the doors, many of whom are abolitionists, many who believe in Medicare for all. I mean, you're talking about the most progressive people who worked the hardest in this election to make sure that Biden won. And, and, and you know, and people, the people who are analyzing our communities are not people who are from our communities. Right even if they look like us or they speak our languages, they are not from our community, they're not on the street in our communities. Right. And so really we won this election, the movement won the election. And of course it should have been more decisive, but we live in a country with a lot of racists that Donald Trump emboldened. Um, we also live in a country where with neoliberals who want to now coddle uh, people who literally don't believe people like me should exist. And I'm not really having that. So I'm like, you know, I was happy to defeat Donald Trump, but. We definitely didn't defeat Trumpism and we still have a whole mm -hmm. lot of neoliberals out there patting themselves on the back like somehow their brilliance is what won this election. Right. It's good to see my sister, Linda. It's always good to hear her speak. Um, the, you know, it's the same as really with the Latino community. There were some good things and some bad things. But the b bottom line is, is what the Latino community people, if I hear one more person say we're not a monolith, like, of course, we're not a monolith. We're so right. many different people and races and different countries of origin. But the bottom line is Donald Trump exposed the weak belly. Of the, of the Latino vote because nobody talks to them, right? So if you'll go spend money and even lie to them mm -hmm. and say, in his advertising in Spanish, Donald Trump was never saying how good he was. He was just saying, hey, do you really trust this guy who's been in government 40 years? And right. this guy who did this thing and this immigration thing, like just enough to, 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 to cut off a few percentage here and there and a lot of percentages in Florida because of the Cuban vote. Uh, and and let's, let's keep in mind that uh, Joe Biden spends more money than Hillary or Barack Obama on Spanish language communication. Like I tip my hat to that. I'm glad that he spent the money. That's good. I have a lot of critiques about how he, that could have been done better, but at least he did that. Yeah. But the thing that really drives me crazy, and I'll summarize it this way, is they talk about Muslims, they talk about black, they talk about brown, they talk about Asian delivering this election. And we did in every aspect of that. But now, and I think we're going to get to that, not only on the issues, but on representation. Below the presidential level, where there was $100 million maybe spent on Spanish language communication, there still is no, not one single black or brown campaign manager for a U.S. Senate race. There's not a single black or brown person managing any congressional race. And there's no consultants running any of that at any level that look like the folks that are on this Zoom call. Like I'm just saying that there's now we have to, I mean, there's we talk about how these different diverse groups are so important to the coalition, but there's literally none of us in there actually having a voice being heard. And I demonstrate that in an op-ed I'm currently writing, talking about now this is how this could really change. It needs to change really, really quickly. Linda, you were saying they didn't really have a ground game. Chuck, you just referred to mistakes made, but what were some of those? I would say in our community it was starting a little late, right? Uh, in the Bernie Sanders book that I wrote, I talk about starting early getting in the community, like Linda said, knowing the community, hiring people from the community. Like this is pretty organizing 101. I've been doing this a long time, but the key is starting early. They've always taken, hell, they never talk. I know Linda's frustration. They never even think about talking to Muslims. Let's be clear yeah. there. But when they talk to brown and black voters, they do it in the last three weeks. And that's yep. how anybody's ever done it. Well, Donald Trump 
did it early and he did it six weeks before Joe Biden. So he got, you only get one chance to make a first impression, especially mm -hmm. in language, in Spanish to my community. So that was the biggest mistake that was made. Luckily, Joe Biden had an unbelievable amount of money. And so he quadrupled the spend, but he did it in the last 60 days. So it got him close enough to have a good outcome, but I'm tired of accepting the bare minimum. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right. The Dems pander to black and Latino voters, but they don't even talk, tr pretend to pander to Muslim American voters. Um, and Arab American voters. And not only don't they um, want to even talk to our communities, although we can be absolutely decisive voters. Yeah. I mean, if you remember back in uh, 2016, um, Michigan single-handedly gave Bernie Sanders the biggest political upset in primary history. And then, um, you know, during the general election, the bottom line is, I'm not going to lie to you, my community really had a hard time with Hillary Clinton. And they weren't, they weren't really 100% convinced about what Trump can do, how much damage Trump can do. And I had a hard time um, in Michigan in 2016 general election. And also because Hillary didn't organize in Michigan either. She thought that she had it in the bag. And so a lot of us that do not get money from the Democratic Party are not supported by the establishment, try to do our best. And one of the things I realized also is that Sometimes campaigns, even when they go into our communities, whether they're going into the Latino community, African-American community, of course, none of our communities are monolithic, but they also start deciding who the good Latinos are, who the good Muslims are, who the good black people are, you know, who are the right people. And anytime, anybody in our community who happens to be a little, you know, you know, I'm trying to find them the nice word. Mouthy? Mouthy is the word? Right. You know, a, little, a little spicy. Right. Who really are spicy, spicy, yeah spicy, feisty, have a, our little adversary to the Democratic Party. Yeah. Those are the people they want to marginalize, not knowing that those are the people, in fact, that they need, because those are the people that are going to bring you all the skeptics. Those are the people that are going to bring you all the young people. I mean, I'm not, I'm telling you right now, my order is called because I promised all these people, I said, please just do the right thing. And I promise you, I'm going to get to the street and we're going to do this and I'm going to do that. And now I have all these things that I promised that I have to do because people said, as long as people are going to fight with everything that they have for us, right? Fine, I'll suck it up and I'll do what is right. And that's what they did in Michigan because Bernie had, uh, you know, Trump won Michigan in 2016 by less than 10,000 votes, and there are over 100,000 registered Muslim American voters in Michigan who have not been touched, um, and by by the campaign they are they were being touched by organizers locally, and that's the people that were doing the work because they knew it was the right thing to do, but it was not funded by the campaign, um, and so that's another thing. Late, you know, because we're always late late and we know this and i've been i i broke quarantine back in may um and i was in louisville kentucky you could run a campaign and be safe and you could do it with a mask and you don't have to you know go you could be six feet away there were ways to do this and all of a sudden they realized they could do that in the last like week you know three weeks of the campaign while organizers black and brown organizers were doing that throughout the last almost four months and, you know, Linda, like major shout out to you because the, the campaign said pretty dismissive, uh, disrespectful things about you calming people down, saying you were going to have no role in the campaign. And well, like said that, Kate, because people were like, when I started saying you got to vote against Trump, we got to vote for Joe yeah. Biden. People started saying, oh, but Linda must be getting paid by the campaign. I must be selling out. And then all of a sudden, God intervened, Katie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 
some white man on the on the Biden campaign was like, this lady got nothing to do with our campaign. <laughs> yeah. our campaign. I said, God is great because yeah. I quoted that man and I started sending it out to all the progressive and leftists. Thank God. Trust me when I tell you, the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, too. yeah, seriously, it's like a, it's like a, getting that being smeared by someone like that is is worth it's all on the record. That's official that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a positive endorsement from someone good. <laughs> that was like when when Alan Dershowitz was like, if Keith Ellison becomes a Democratic chair, I'm leaving the Democratic Party, and it's I was like, like, please, please, yeah, please, <laughs> like that much more of a reason to to root for Ellison, which um, that was a revealing moment for Obama, but. Well, we, I digress. What do you both think about how, and we'll get into this more with you, Linda, because Chuck has been very generous with his time and we, we stabbed you to have a cool <laughs> conversation with some overlap, but what do you think can be done? I mean, we have a lot of skeptics in the chat in the progressive community. A lot of people are just done. They're like, uh, we're not moving him left at the very best. We are like gonna, maybe he'll go back into the climate accords. Um, I mean, the way I see it right now is like certain terrible things that Trump did won't happen. Biden will do other terrible things, but the net results will be less right. destructive. They're not going to like privatize the private parks anymore. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen anymore. Right. But how are we, we going to get like, you know, the guy already said he'd veto uh, Medicare for all if it came right. to him. So what is there to be done? Can anything be done? Well, I think that we've got to, you know, start in the Congress. I think that Joe Biden is not going to be driving any legislation, whether he signs it or not. If we put enough pressure, if Linda's mm -hmm. folks put enough pressure, if the grassroots put enough pressure on him, he'll have to sign it. That's our job. That's what Bernie Sanders has said. Now, you, our first job is done. We got him. We got rid of Donald Trump. Now we hold these people accountable. You know, there's an immense amount of privilege in certain communities that say that they can just walk away from this. No, well, this is just where the fight starts. Like this is, we held Barack Obama accountable too. Like there are things that have to happen. I've got half of my staff are immigrants. Half of my staff are currently working under DACA or TPS. That's real life shit for people. And I have to deal with that as a boss and as their friend and as some of their brothers and sisters. And so like, I need that fixed now. Thank you, President Biden. Let's fix DACA. That's easy. Let's do TPS. That's easy. Now let's see what the next thing is that I'm going to press for. Let's stop privatizing. Uh, any, let's shut down all the private prisons. Let's reunite these families at the border. Like there are things incrementally. And then I'm going to dig into Congress with the groups that I work with to come up with something that I want done as far as what my folks, me, my family, my workers. Like I come from this from a very unique perspective that I've been very, very poor. I know what government cheese tastes like. I've never been to college, right? I've got a criminal record, Katie. You know my story, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not the stereotypical consultant. That's what I think makes me halfway decent understanding uneducated brown men that we always talk about. How do you get to them? I'm like, well, maybe if you hired an uneducated brown man that's sitting right here, I can help you figure that out. I may not have all the answers, but I'll tell you what we don't like. But what we won't, just like a lot of these, all the progressives and all these woke white consultants, like, there's just We've got to kind of dig in and we all can play our role in holding all of our government accountable. And that's not some sellout. That means that guess what's going to happen? Now, let me end with this. I don't want to take all of Linda's time, but we're fixing to go into a redistricting year. All these congressional districts are going to be much different. There are going to have a lot of new people in it. And you're going to have a Congress now that's all going to run to the right because they all are scared to death about Donald Trump just did by wiping them out in the House and the Senate. That's a unique opportunity for progressives to have the most unbelievable power that we've ever had because these Democrats are also scared shitless that they're fixing to all get primary. I'm already talking to a lot of them. They're always at, already asking me what should they be doing because they see us coming. And so that's just, just something to think about. Is don't forget our power that we have right now. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, really quickly before you leave, Chuck, um, people have wanted to know what you um, did time for and uh, <laughs> also about the, the pack and um, what what if you they, they're saying what what's the deal with the pack and did San, what was Sanders position on the pack that you founded? I created Nuestro Pack to create the Latino outreach right after the primary because I had to have a vehicle to do that with. And if I create a C3 nonpartisan, I ain't nonpartisan. A C4 issue advocacy, I ain't about the issues. There's a lot of great groups doing issue. I want to beat bad people. So I created a super PAC. It's the only way I could do it. And I'm so happy I did it. Was the old man, excuse me, I shouldn't call him the old man on camera. Was Bernie not happy? <laughs> that's yeah. my old man. Was, was, yeah. That's right. All that's of our like, old man, yeah. yeah. He wasn't as happy, but now he's like, Chuck, Oh, we got to do something in Georgia. We can't just let them fuck this up. And I'm like, no, right. well, we could do something with, oh, that's what we could do. Well, I don't really like the super PACs. I'm like, well, this is, I'm going to go down there and knock some Republicans in the teeth. Well, we should talk. So it's been great. We did $8 million. We've got a lot of organized <laughs> labor money. We've got, I created a grassroots infrastructure. We had over 2,000 donors from grassroots activists. So I was super happy. And guess who was the only group talking to Latinos, Linda, in Michigan? Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin was my super PAC. So I was That's super right. pumped to be able to go in there and do that work. And I didn't have to ask nobody's permission. It could make my own That's hands. Right. And right, the, the yeah. criminal record is of uh, eight years ago, I got convicted of embezzling $485 at the Steelworkers Union. A white man would have got off from that. But I Jeez. now have a federal felony on my record for just under $500 on a mess up on my expenses God. where I should have put it on my corporate credit card, fully accountable, big mistake. But now, I, and I never went to jail, but I paid a, a fine and had to be on probation, federal probation for 24 months. So when you talk about wow. criminal justice reform, I've lived it. I walked into my federal probation wow. officers in Washington, D.C., and he said, why are you even here? I like to I deal with real criminals. What judge would do this to you for $500? Who did you piss off? Wow. Anyway, you live and learn, and it makes me a better consultant every day. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Everyone Thank should you, get Linda. the book. Yeah. Come back on and we'll talk more about the book and more, more in depth. Yeah. Thank y'all um, so much. Thank, thank you. you. Linda, you're really one of the greatest organizers, I think. And, um, and really inspiring. And again, I really commend you for ignoring the, it's not, it's not <laughs> that easy to hear people talk about you that way and then be knocking on the doors for them. Although I think, you know, it was to, probably to defeat Trump more than it was to, mm -hmm. you know, but how did you deal with all the frustration? I mean, the, the Sanders campaign um, and then the Biden campaign being punching left so much. And, and what are you going to do to bring the heat? Uh, you know, I already knew this, how this was going to play out. Unfortunately, um, you know, I was never really naive. I supported Bernie Sanders with everything that I had. Um, mm -hmm. You know, of course, I had those high moments when it, it seemed like we were about to, you know, clinch a nomination. But if my, in the back of my mind, um, it, it, it just kept that voice kept telling me, are you crazy? Do you yeah. really think the Democratic Party is going to let Senator Bernie Sanders become the nominee? <laughs> so I wasn't as shocked and heartbroken as everybody else. It just reminded me that how much more work we have to do um, as progressives in the party. But really, I'm, I got to a point where I was like, look, I can't you know, just sit around and allow Donald Trump to have four more years. You know, In the next four years, he, it would have been no holds barred in our people. And our people have been absolutely yeah. horrified and traumatized, mm -hmm. not to say that they already weren't before that, because of course, as you know, I come from a community that, it, that in the last, at least since the immediate um, uh, you know, aftermath of the events of 9-11, my community has been 
traumatized by multiple, you know, foreign policy, domestic policy, you name it. And I still, I had a feeling that, uh, in my heart that said to me, like, they deserve more than that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and Joe Biden wasn't going to be much more, um, but he was going to be definitely not Donald Trump. And I know that doesn't seem inspiring to people and it wasn't inspiring to me, but I was able to reframe the conversation. So when I went into Muslim communities, when I talked to young people, I was predominantly organizing in Muslim American communities. And then I was also on a state of emergency tour with a bus full of black organizers. I was the only not black organizer on that bus. So we went to Durham, North Carolina, specifically focused there. We went to Gate City in Alabama, which is in Birmingham. It's basically the projects. The Sojourner Truth Houses in, De- in North Detroit, places that you know not everybody goes multiple times, or maybe not, don't go at all. Um, we like to go to, as they say, to the hood, um, to the places where the Democratic Party says these communities are low propensity voters; they're not that important. We're going to go focus our efforts somewhere else. And so, for me, I just basically told everyone, "Look, I just need a better opponent in the White House. That's all yeah. I'm asking you for. Um, I'm not asking you for to to vote for the best thing that ever happened to us. I'm asking mm-hmm. you to." somebody better, somebody where we don't have to be only reactive, that we can really build proactive movements uh, under, that we can really push somebody to the left, because we weren't pushing Trump anywhere. That's just the bottom right. line. Right. Um, I think what, what what Trump did do for our movement is that he did galvanize many more people than we've ever had in the movement. But to say that somehow over the last four years, we pushed Trump to the left would be idiotic because that really didn't happen. Right. And so, I'm, you know, you already know me. I'm, I've been a small Democrat, a small letter D Democrat, only because I want to engage in primaries. Uh, but other than that, I don't have any loyalty to the Democratic Party. I never did. I never believed that the Democratic Party had loyalty in the way that it is set up right now. And ever since... Keith Ellison, um, you know, that that seat was stolen from him. Um, That was when I really was like, nah, this Democratic Party really ain't for me. Um, And only until Senator Bernie Sanders ran under the Democratic ticket did I start really feeling like I could get in this. Because, you know, Katie, we're in New York. I I, like I voted down the Working Families Party in New York, so I don't really need to be a Democrat in New York unless I want to engage in primaries here. But, you know, here we are. And now so much more work is left to we had on um, Joshua Khan Russell, um, who's an organizer who, you know, sings your praises. And that's, you know, one of the things he was saying is like, he similarly was like, I, I'm not a Democrat. I never, the only time, like I, Bernie was the exception. I was excited to vote for him. Um, and I was excited by his campaign, but this is about, yeah, showing, like ha- changing the terrain that we're fighting on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you just, I think it's really important to remember this and like, that's why I think you do have a lot of cred because you just called out Obama for intervening in stealing an election from like the first black Muslim congressman um, and giving it to Tom Perez, who like no one even knew what the hell to vote for him for, except for Obama's people making phone calls. I knew Tom Perez before when he worked at the administration. He was like a regular guy, worked in the Department of Labor, yeah. that he didn't work at the Department of Justice, and we used to see him in meetings and stuff, but there was really nothing extraordinary about him. Yeah. He grassroots. He, no one knew who he was. He wasn't going to – the point of the DNC chairmanship really is it has – you really have one job, and your job is to galvanize Democratic voters across the country. Your yeah. job is to fundraise and to excite and to help shape the narrative of what the Democratic Party reflects. And Keith Ellison was Black. He was Muslim. 
He was a true progressive. Yeah. He's beloved amongst many parts of the movement, even amongst the establishment Democrats. He was part of the Progressive Caucus, the Congressional right. Black Caucus. I mean, he had every credential. Yeah. That, I mean, I can't think of a credential that he did not actually possess. Um, and unfortunately, it was stolen from him, from him at a time where he we needed him the most, because I truly believe that if Keith Ellison was the chairman of the DNC, we would have had an either Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren nomination. Well, I mean, that's why they did it, right? Well, well, listen, I'm listen, I'm not naive to the politics yeah. of those who are comfortable um, and want to stay that way. I mean, I don't know if this is a rumor, but I read this article like literally right before I got on. Katie and I literally almost fell out um, where I read an article that said that there are sources that are saying that the Biden administration has offered um, or is in talks with Mitt Romney on um, Secretary of Health and Human Services. And I literally was like, I'm already getting trolled and it hasn't even been like 20 hours, you know, so so I hope people who are celebrating and I don't want to take that away from people, Katie, because there are a lot of people who are just like you and me who are little in the street, like left their families behind 16 hour days. um, And they they get they get they have the right and the opportunity to say we defeated fascism and we've defeated Trump and they should be able to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But I'm letting you know that should be really temporary because yeah. I'm already getting trolled. Um, I think just yesterday. I think only yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I saw people in the street and you saw Brooklyn. Brooklyn was lit, yeah. but I was like, I'm not I'm not there yet. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I saw a lot of people celebrating and I was like, you know, maybe you guys shouldn't have the Biden flags. I was like, you don't want the photos with the Biden flags for a couple of years from now. You're going to want to yeah. like remember this and not like be annoyed about it. You shouldn't have like the Biden flag yeah, out no. right now. Just have yeah, like, X, like Trump with the just X have like, yeah, tr- like have Trump stuff. The American yeah. flag is even fine if you must have some flag, yeah. you know. No. I mean, I'm in Bay Ridge. You better believe I wasn't running outside with no flags. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's just, yeah, he's just trying to pitch. To, yeah, to my, I'm, yeah. I was in West Hollywood and I just saw people. Yeah. My yeah. people in my district, as you know, where I am in New York, we lost the congressional seat here. Um, we lost our, uh, well, not yet, but um, we had a state Senate seat that's still in counting right now, which is uh, Senator Andrew Gennardis from the, you know, the New York state Senate, and then we lost our congressional seat to, you know, Max Rose lost his seat, uh, which, by the way, I did not lift a finger. I did nothing. Absolutely zero. Call me selfish. But Max Rose was absolutely outrageous. And I know that someone more outrageous than him um, is now right. in Congress, but she will be a lame duck congresswoman. She will have no power in a Democratic majority house, but she will run her mouth and she will troll Ilhan right. and right. and she can knock herself out. Right. Hopefully in 2022, we'll come back and, you know, hopefully we'll have someone that's truly progressive and someone who could really galvanize and inspire our district. Right. As opposed to like a Trump. I mean, he was a Trumpian Democrat. uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember one time. Well, first of all, he also um, went up against Ilhan um, coming from a district with with one of the largest Muslim American communities in the whole entire New York state. That was one. And then I remember there was some bill around, uh, not a bill, it was like a, I guess maybe it was a bill or a resolution or something about anti-Semitism or something. And, you know, and that's fine. You could vote for that and whatever. And it was, a you know, some sort of non-binding resolution. Right. But the fact that you felt the need to go stand next to Trump when he signed it, um, yeah. just at that, that was when I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. If you're already yeah. next to like, you know, literally neo-Nazis or people who support neo-Nazis, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Like, the Muslims were like, we're not doing that. Yeah. Also, like, how dumb are you or Robert Tunisic to think that Trump is uh, like is anti-anti-Semitic? 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the other thing. So I wasn't even right as a community, we weren't even mad at, mad at him for the actual resolution. Right. But you're literally letting a guy who supports neo-Nazis. Yeah. Right. Take calling credit. People, right. Right. People. And you, Macros is Jewish. Right. And you go yeah, yeah. and with Donald Trump and the Muslims were like, now nah, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he lost his seat. And I think that goes to what's happening now online, Katie, people, you know, trolling um, AOC, uh, for being, you know, a truth teller and for saying it like it is and making you reckon with who you are. Every everybody who was supporting Medicare for all around the country kept their seat or won their seat. Right. It was those that actually were so the important to make more conservative point, yeah. centrist are the ones that lost their seat. Like Max Rose was no progressive losing his seat. Let me no, just yeah. clear. that's clear to everybody. And so I think that, like my frustration right now is like it's like it's like. It's like you got to slap them in the head with it. I'm like, I don't know how much more we have to do. And <laughs> to do, but it's right. Like these progressive right. issues, like Medicare for all is one of the most popular issues in America across the aisle. And I don't know how to keep I don't know how to I, get that through their head. It's, it's like, like I, 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 agree. I agree with Chuck that it's like it just that we have to do it like at the ground level. Basically, it's like basically having the argument with these people is not going to work. So we need to replace them. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like oh, yeah, frankly, the way the, the way I've been thinking about it is I'm like, man, establishment Democrats don't have any up and comers. All they have is like super old people that like have a built in Q rating like Joe Biden. You know what I mean? Like there are people that like people already know about and like have feelings for or whatever, but they have no bench and they have no young rising stars so we need to build a bench and we also need to stop any neoliberal rising star we need to joe kennedy all of them truly we need to destroy their them like in politics forever i don't even know what to say about that yeah you know listen hey the guy the guy listened to the young people yeah he did that's why he that's why he won right I I i think what i'm worried about jack and katie is Four years from now, these young people that we took to the polls, trust me when I tell you, if I dare come back and mm-hmm. say, please, you know, just this one time, do the, you know, vote for this person. If the if the nominee in 2024 is not a true progressive, those young people, that's where my cl- my credibility will just go down. the right. toilet. Like, I'm not going to be able to come back with any face to try to beg people and say, okay, this last time it wasn't the lesser of two evils. Last time it was like fascist, not fascist. So that's right. the <laughs> Then 2024 comes along. I'm not going to go back to 2016, which was the lesser of the two evils at the time. We didn't know how evil right. Trump was be, but we were expecting him to be pretty evil. And the I problem is, is that it might end up being another Trump even. You know, it could end up oh, being yeah. another equally evil. And it's like, well, we've used all this capital now being, you know, people aren't going to believe it again. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now people think, oh, well, we we won this election, not by a landslide. And people think that the conservatives and the Republicans are just sitting at home right now. They're already organizing against right. them. And that's yeah. what they did in 2008. In 2008, we elected Obama. They all got hunkered down in their basements. They started organizing their people on a very grassroots level, people we never heard of. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, I get Congressman Michael Grimm in my district. You know, these are the people that ran on the Tea Party. There's right. going to be Tea Party times 10. Because they've actually have built the bench over the last right. few mm-hmm. years, right? They do have mm-hmm. a bench now, and they and they kind of showed us what they were made of. Like they didn't really get. I mean, if anything, if Donald Trump leaves with any little, you know, he's going to come out and probably say this eventually when he figures out that he really, really lost. Yeah. He's going to say, "I lost, but I didn't get my ass kicked." 
And for sure, yeah. he's, that's kind of what he's already saying. Yeah. I mean, well, right now he's saying he didn't lose. Yeah. Right, right, right. But he's <laughs> well, emphasizing but how well he did as an incumbent. Yesterday he right? tweeted most uh, most votes ever for a sitting president, and I was right. like, oh, that's what the line is going to be. Yeah. That's yeah. like them setting up the line as most not, votes ever for lying. a sitting he's president. Yeah, he's not lying. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the truth. More Republicans voted for him this time than they did in 2016. So somehow he expanded the electorate. Mm-hmm. Like that's but, what he did. I mean, right. it's so funny. Everybody was crowing about Joe Biden got the most votes. He beat Obama's record, and then I'm like, but then Trump beat it the next day. Like Trump also beat Obama's 2008 right. record. You know, if that uh, yeah. for for an idea of how meaningful that is. You yeah, know what I mean? Felt like they're just telling <laughs> half the story, and I'm just uh-huh. like, okay, fine. You're right. Joe Biden got a whole lot of votes, and mm-hmm. you know, they owed to the organizers in the street that made right. that happen. But what but you so said is right. Trumpism. Yeah. So yeah. Trumpism is not, right. and, and why does why is the Lincoln Project not being like run out of town? They didn't deliver. They, <laughs> they lost Republicans. Deliver. Like they had one job, and yet MSNBC is treating them like negative. they saved. Yeah. They gave us negative Republicans. Like not even no Republicans. Negative. Right. right. We lost. Yeah. And well, Wilson is online talking about. You know, why are people trolling me right now? Because I have work to do. I'm focused on Georgia. No, you need to get out of Georgia. <laughs> in Georgia. I will pay you. Yeah, let's pay. Yeah. I'll pay you not to go, not to, go to Georgia. We'll send you oh. another um, Confederate flag wrapped ice uh, beer cooler. Do you see this? Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. Rick no, Wilson, no, he's no, got an Instagram. No, His wife posted an Instagram a long time ago Trigger that one, has yeah. a Confederate flag on a cooler that says the South will rise again. No, so this is the new like Democrat, now. you know, this is Lord. this is their guy now. <laughs> yeah. Lord have a guy who said terrible yeah. things about like, I mean, such racist things. Uh, yeah. offensive things. I mean, I'm not an Ann Coulter fan, but he didn't, he said to her, like, does Trump pay more for anal? Yeah, um, something yeah. else about Muslims, something about yeah, mu- yeah, really Islamophobic stuff about yeah. like and, and crude also like yeah. at the same time. Funny is that other neoliberal supporters are like some of those like centrist Democrats are like, why are you all pulling up his old little tweets? Like that's we gotta. And I'm like, why? Wow. I was like, I was like, well, I didn't see you say that about everybody else's old tweets. That you put up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and also, what's the deal with all this like civility? It's time to come together, except for we're going to say how this is all the fault right. of leftists and AOC and Medicare for all. It's really yeah. like I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like watching a whole like movie like happen. Like I'm like, is this real life people like do you not even even the people praising like, for example, when Joe Biden went up yesterday and he said, you know, he, and I and I appreciated that he did this where he kind of says specifically it's the African-American, um, you know, vote that kind of helped put me over. Right. But it required black organizers to organize the black vote. Right. You talk about the Latino community coming right. out or you talk about any community. It requires organizers to organize the people and then the thing again about it is the people who are organizing the ones who i saw in the street in every city that i went to were literally people like in georgia those women that are organizing that organize under the kind of umbrella of stacy abrams or the ones that yeah. organize the new georgia project these are abolitionists these are the defund the right. police these are, are the medicare for all these are like abolish ice you know these this is the kind of ideology of the organized, the, the new Florida majority, you know, the folks that were organizing on Amendment 4, the Dream Defenders Action, you know, when you look at Con Mi Gente or you look at literally every group that was on the streets that was organizing, Black Voters Matter, I mean, all of the folks. These are people who are, when if we want to, maybe they don't call themselves leftists, yeah. but ideologically, 
On yeah. the issues, they are all progressive leftists. Yeah. And well, like, it's our fault. Right. It's the same people's fault who got him in. Or uh, that it's yeah, it's ridiculous. And like Malika Jabali was on, who's a great journalist, who and she's been in Wisconsin. And um, she was saying she was like, I was walking, watching all these um, working class black volunteers, like working their butts off, getting up since dawn, doing all this door knocking just for Biden to tell them, like, I may veto Medicare for all if it comes to my desk, even though in this state, like the it's totally disproportionately affecting black people one of like the biggest discrepancies um, in terms of COVID. COVID is totally disproportionately affecting them. It's just, yeah, it's really, yeah. I don't know. The results of the election are so bizarre. Democrats did find a way to win the presidency. They did. And I, and I agree with Linda that I think a lot of that is because of, you know, uh, organizing and, you know, people doing sort of filling in for what the Biden campaign refused to do, which was have any kind of ground game at all during the entire election. But they managed to find a way to win where they lost in almost every measurable way. You know, we lost seats uh, in the House. We didn't take the Senate like, you know, and already, you know, the knives are out blaming the left for saying defund the police or whatever. But as you mentioned, Linda, it's like the people that lost uh, uh, were all centrist Democrats. And so it's like, yeah, it, it, it's it's it, 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 you know, obviously like, it's good it that Trump sense. lost and that a second make Trump term would have been sense. truly. Evil, yeah, make it, but... yeah, exactly. Make it make sense. Yeah. I mean, OK, so Joe Biden, by the way, but Joe Biden, no honey, Joe, no Biden honeymoon. No, 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 Joe, Joe no Biden. honeymoon. Joe, no honeymoon <laughs> Biden. Um, what? Uh, oh, before we move on to that, not to be petty, and but let's just be a little feisty and spicy because this is cathartic. And look, like Linda, again, she deserves so much credit for not like snubbing the campaign after they <laughs> were so terrible to her. But let's just look at just because so I, I think it's important to have a sense of what we're dealing with. Again, this is um, this is Rick Wilson. Oh, OK, yeah. so I went on this little thread. Oh, this is my hot take. I said, I think the left should expose how evil Lincoln Project and some of Biden's potential cabinet picks are and how Bossoff and Warnock. Defeat hey, by the way, good, good take yeah. because, you know, that that kind of is what has been going on. You know what I mean? It's like the focus, you know, from, you know, from AOC and other folks have has been like, hey, fuck the Lincoln Project. Get them out like immediately. Yeah. We're yeah. done now. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are done now. And so now here's and this is additional organizing where I do outside of electoral politics to people. My mention saying it's Trumpy and mannequin to call project. Lincoln Project and Cabinet evil. You're right. I should have been more precise. There's Confederate flag waving evil. And this is Rick Wilson, just so you guys can see. Yeah, uh, this is a photo of you see that cooler, the wine cooler with the, the South will rise again. And then this is just this is cr dog cruelty. Like, how dare you? Put your dog in that photo. Oh, wow. The, they put the a cooler. dog in the yeah. photo with the cooler. Yeah. That's so yeah. sad. That's a cute so, dog. So yeah, that's that dog so cute, right? Know. I know that dog deserves better. Yeah. And then we have, of course, the Meg Whitman evil who I mean, she is just like. Remember, she had an undocumented nanny who she found out about oh, it and yeah, then like yeah. it breaks my heart, but she should be deported, which oh. is just so cruel. Like it's bad on both ends. Um, and then but I think one of my favorites really is Kasich who, um, I mean, he's he's so bad. Like, he's so bad, he passed one of the worst abortion bills that had no um, exceptions for rape or incest. Oh, here it is, by, by the way, Linda. You said he said some uh, anti-Muslim stuff. Here's the deal. I don't care. This is back to Rick Wilson. I don't care what flavor of Islam these dicks are. The flavor, the need is to to be is bleeding out of a hole in their temple. Jesus Holy crap. Fuck. No, Rick yeah. Wilson is like truly a vile, like actually a really vile racist Republican. Like yeah, no. that, that, that Rick Wilson 
you know, appears on MSNBC, which which ostensibly at this point is like, is it more Republicans? Like I'm like with, with him and like, you know, Nicole Wallace and shit. I'm like, this looks like I'm watching fucking Fox. Bill, yeah, Bill Crystal. <laughs> I mean, Kasich for me is the worst of them all. And I'll tell you why. I mean, during the DNC convention, um, if you remember, they gave him a platform. Yeah. They literally put him on a main platform. And what was crazy to me was they if you watch the DNC, you would not think that we had an Ilhan Omar or a Rashida. There was actually a, an ode to women. I don't know if you saw that it was like a segment about women in the DNC. And it was funny because they had just disavowed and they said, oh, we don't we disavow Linda's views, which, of course, specifically were about my views on Palestine, and the boycott, right. investment sanctions movement, which is basically disavowing ninety nine point eight percent of the people in my community, which is. Right. Put that to the side. Yeah. But then they, you did this ode to women and it started with me. I was in the video like you're doing an ode to women because it was it started with the women's march and I'm in the footage of it. So like you see me in wow. the footage. But then they start showing clips of like when, you know, women were winning office around the country and that kind of surprised like, oh, my God, I won. And it was so inspiring. And they were going from women to women to women. And all of a sudden at the end, I'm like, well, what about that Somali black Muslim woman from Minnesota? Or what about the Palestinian Muslim one from right. Michigan, from two important states that mm -hmm. you all need to win in this election? And so the 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 fact that they erased Ilhan and Rashida from the, the, the convention, what they did to me, the fact that they won Michigan and Minnesota is because of the very women that you try mm -hmm. to marginalize in the camp in, in the in, in the in the campaign. But then you would give platform to Kasich to your point who is anti-women, anti-immigrant. I mean, some of the worst things that I could think of have been done at the hands of this man in his state, and he didn't even win the state for you. Like, on top of all that, right? Right? It's not even justifiable from a strategic, like, forget the morality of it. It's not even strategically justifiable. Yeah, not, it was not strategic at all. Like, well, I, I mean... I, when I went to speak at the DNC convention, I was invited by the Muslim delegation for the DNC. Like, to be clear, folks, I'm a delegate to the DNC. Like, it wasn't like a random situation. I'm a DNC delegate. I ran in my district and I won, just like everybody else was fair. Nobody paid me to be a delegate. I didn't pay nobody. I didn't mm -hmm. bribe anybody. I won because people in my district voted for me. And so when I went to speak, I didn't even want to speak because I was worried that people would say I was selling out. Why was I going to the DNC? But I said, you know what? They need a voice like mine. So when I got invited, I went. And so my thing is like you actually strategically need voices like ours because we are the ones that bring credibility to the table. Because if you right. want to try to bring the party together, it's not they that bring the party together. We bring the party right. together. Even, even Bernie, to be quite honest with you, people were so hurt by him kind of conceding or kind of, you know, whatever the word is, um, leaving the race early. Yeah. But there were a lot of people mad at Bernie too. So we had to step in for Uncle Bernie, like, all right. Mm -hmm. The amounts of times I defended Bernie over him leaving the, the, the race and being like, don't worry, we got a strategy. There's, you know, he's playing checkers or whatever. He's playing chess. And yeah, and it's just the, the strategy behind it. And then Kasich is running. And then after he loses Ohio for us, He's still on television running his mouth. Uh, yeah. It's not even a pre thing. It's a post yeah. for a loser. 
Literally. Yeah. yeah, he should be labeled loser Kasich. Yeah. Loser of Ohio has some Literally opinions about how to win. Come on. Yeah, so they can't yeah. even, I mean, this is all because they actually want, this is, you know, it goes back to the Thomas Frank listen liberal thesis, which is that the Dems just want, a lot of them just want the bad stuff and they pretend yeah, that they, they're being forced like, into it, which is why I do want us to win the Senate because if only, and then all these people are like, you neoliberal shill, blah, blah, blah. You, I'm sure you get this too, Linda, but it's like, I don't, I want the Dems to win the Senate because at the very least, it'll expose them when they're not moving left. They're not going to be able to say it's because of like obstruction. Yeah. Uh, now we're just trapped in this hellish thing where we're going to ping pong back and forth. It seems yeah. like every four years, it really is feel, like it feels like we might get a lot more single terms if this yeah. is kind of like the way things are going to ping pong uh, and with the way obstruction is, is working in D.C. I mean, I, what I do know about Georgia is I actually know Raphael Warnock personally. He's actually, me and him are in seminary together. Oh, um, I've, gotten, I've gotten to know him on a personal level. He's incredible. He really okay. is, yeah. you know, somebody that I believe um, is going to fight for the He's a great human being. Um, also, if I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, he's not right. someone. Yeah, Warnock does seem amazing to be to be clear. Sorry, he seems amazing. I'm saying like even people who don't believe in the Democrats anymore. And yes, I mean, Ossoff is not the inspiring guy. Guy, I think that Warnock is, but he's running against. Is it Purdue or Loft? One of those two. Horrible. They're run, They're both running. I think he's Purdue. Horrific, I think. Yeah, horrific human beings. Like yeah, yeah, like 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 almost like Leffler is like like cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. like the I wife of the guy that runs the the New York Stock Exchange. She's doing right. ads of like kill journalists and shit. It's like just a cartoon. Yeah. So so Linda, what what can we? What do you need from us? Like. What do organizers need right now? What are you doing? What kind of support or um, I don't know. Yeah. Tell, tell us what you need. So I, like I said earlier, when Chuck was on, you know, we made some promises, Katie, and I'm a woman of my word and the people I organize with are people of their words. So I can't indulge too much today, but know that Biden will be met with mobilization um, and that, that he's not just going to stroll into the white house. Yeah. Like, everything's going back to normal. Um, he's already trolling us. Um, I'm, I'm reading a lot of articles about potential picks and nominees for cabinet positions. Um, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, the Republicans are not going to let him. It doesn't matter what the Republicans do, because just like the Donald Trump administration had interim everybody, Biden can have interim everybody. Um, and so for me, um, the work starts today. Um, so we've been already organizing. There have been already many meetings and Zoom calls just within the last you know, 36 hours, um, getting the progressive movement coordinated. I don't have to agree with everybody. You don't all have to like me, but we have to ensure yeah. that this administration understands that you are not our enemy yet. Uh, we are going to treat you as the president of the United States of America who was elected by the people and the people are going to hold you accountable. What we do know is even if we do not win back the Senate, there are many things that the Biden administration can do and has the authority to do. And he, they have already said some of the things that they are willing right. to do, which to Chuck's point, I commend them for, but are also the easy things to do, like the reinstatement of DACA, you know, right. the temporary protective mm. status, even the repealing of the Muslim ban, which of course means a lot to people in my community and those I organize with, um, you know, things around, you know, um, canceling student debt. There's just many, 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 you know, getting back into the Paris Accord. I mean, there's a lot of things. And so they've named some of the things that they are ready to do. And to be clear, I hope that everybody understands that they didn't just wake up one morning and be so profound and be like, right. oh, my God, I have some <laughs> great things. It is what we have done as a movement is that they knew when they went in there 
that they were running in the general election. They had to make those commitments because the movement needed them to make commitments in order for us to do the work that we did during the election. So we will be meeting Joe Biden and Kamala uh, with mass mobilization. We will continue to hold them accountable. And we hope that those who have been organizing with us, particularly our white allies, many of whom uh, may have been progressive and cared about the issue, but were not in fact as engaged on the street as they were before the Donald Trump administration, that you stay on the streets. Because actually what I'm telling those people now is, there wasn't really much a product that we got out of our mobilization. We were not able to ta- you know, to stop the tax scam bill. We were not able to stop some of the health care cuts. I mean, there were not there wasn't much that we could do. We were not able to, you know, save these children at the border. I mean, there's still 545 children where, whose parents we have no idea where they went. But what I do believe is going to happen under a, under a Biden administration is that those same people who've been organizing that mass mobilization we've maintained over the last four years, you're going to actually see some fruits of our labor. Um, it's not going to be all the fruits, but it'll be some. And I think that's what makes uh, this what, what what moved me to not to want to defeat a Donald Trump administration. I wanted to see something, Katie. I was four yeah. years. I'm exhausted. I saw nothing. I didn't get anything. I lost. An, I lost the Muslim ban case in the Supreme Court. I was lost after loss. Neighbors yeah. supported. I mean, everything was happening around us. Um, and, you know, for me, this next four years, I'm actually looking really forward to it because I think that we're going to be able to set it up well, more so for 2024. I think the progressives are going to have the kind of ground zero these four years to actually build movements that are going to outlast and get us into 2024 and then 2026. Yeah. And um, what about any... Um what do you think of the People's Party or a third party? Um, I know that's not really your lane because you're an organizer more into and you happen to, you know, like we all did fall in love with Amo Bernie. But um, any thoughts on on that and whether I mean, just as like a threat. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think just so you know, I mean, there are people in the movement that are already in this conversation. I mean, a third party is a long term commitment. You can't right. just wake up one morning and say you need a third party. I mean, this right. is about getting signatures on the ballots in 50 right. states. It has to be a 50 state strategy. There has to be resources and money behind it. And I'm not ruling it out. Like I said, if 2024 comes around and we get stuck in a situation where we have some outrageous Republican and some centrist neoliberal Democrat, I'm letting you know right now, those young people are not going to the polls. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. And right. so that's going to require us to kind of get into a space where we're going to have to think quick, really quickly. Yeah. Not to say that people are not already going to start doing that some of that work right now, but I still see the potential of an AOC type party over the next four years. If the progressive stay uniform and stay together I've said this before, Katie, and I'm gonna, I tell this to progressives all the time. Unity is not uniformity. And I want the progressives to understand that we can never be at the table where all of us are going to agree right. on every single mm-hmm. issue. You know, some people in the movement, as you know, are, are abolitionists. Some right. people are not yet there, but we can still figure out how to organize in this moment together. You know, so so that's what I'm looking forward to. We've already had some really positive conversations um, just in the last few days. And so hopefully in the next week or so, we'll kind of be putting more public plans out there, like what we're expecting you know, how we get to the streets together. Where are we going to be in the streets together? Uh, because Joe Biden, I'm going to give them their space. Let them go celebrate. Yeah. You got the first black woman to be the vice president. She's the first woman of color to be vice president. And I understand how monumental that is, just right. as it was monumental 2008 Obama. Right. And I think it's important that black women also organize that. They basically told Joe Biden, it better be a black woman that you're mm-hmm. getting that vice presidential uh, ticket and that's what he did because he was organized into doing that. It also yeah. wasn't something that he woke up with one day and was like, I'm going to put a black woman. Right. He was pressured in by the 
very, I, th- I say, amazing organizing that black women did uh, around that particular thing. So anything that has happened that anybody wants to commend, just remember, it was organizers and people that made those things happen. Right. Not like a change of heart or Biden becoming like, yeah, know, no changes intersectional or something. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. Um, uh, well, yeah, well, definitely like come back on. To, you can give us a, a organizer update so we can know what to be demanding or how we can support you, because this Absolutely. is like, you know, and and yeah, give, people can celebrate. And we also like Linda knows this more than anyone else, because it's not like you were born into this movement, like you, you stumbled into it recently. It's not like you think Obama saved us, um, you know, like this is from the perspective of someone who's been fighting organizing and um, yeah, does not think that like all we have to do is get rid of Trump and then we can brunch and say, and revel in democracy. I mean, I've been, I've been telling people actually, you know, you, you already know this Katie, I wrote a book and yes, book, which is uh, really good. Everyone should I read wrote that. My book, you know, obviously during the Trump administration, but it actually, I was very specific to my publishers that I'm not writing about Trump. I've been organizing for almost two decades under Republican and Democratic administrations. And every single issue that I've organized on, Katie, I've organized under both administrations. Right. Healthcare, I've organized around ending unwarranted surveillance. I've worked on foreign policy issues and anti-war issues, literally under both administrations. So for me, I want people to remember that if you can choose any issue, criminal justice, immigration, issues around foreign policy, war with Iran, Palestine, you name it. These are issues that literally transcend political parties. So don't feel like because there is now no Trump in the White House that somehow all the injustice around us has disappeared. In fact, what's going to happen is that I think that police unions across the country, the police shootings that we've seen on literally almost on a daily basis uh, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes two in a day in some parts of the country, sometimes we hear about that. We got to stay focused. We got to stay consistent. And we have to let Joe Biden know that he works for us. And that's what I keep telling people when I went to people's doors on local down ballot races. What I said to people is we are the employer. So now everyone's saying we fired you, Trump, and we hired you, Joe Biden. And you know what? Joe Biden works for the American people. And so the American people also include progressives and include people that care about health care. Like, I don't understand, Katie, why we're still in the moment. We One day we'll come back and, un, and have an answer to this question. Why it's so radical for us to say that everybody deserves health care. Yeah. Why we say things like stop killing black people. You know, I don't know, like nothing. I don't believe anything we're saying is so out of like bound with just right. humanity and, dig, and, right. and just basic dignity for people. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The thing one of the things that bothers me so much about the DNC talking about structural racism is like, so, you know, it's there. And then you have this tool, Medicare for all that can deal not. And that's the other thing I hate. It's not going to end racism. No one's literally no one's ever saying with the stroke of the pen, you're going to end racism. If you have (laughs) Medicare for all, racism goes away. No one's saying that. But to pretend that there's not a relationship between Medicare for all and and racism is absurd. And they know this because they keep saying that it's disproportionately COVID is disproportionately affecting people of color. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it is. It's on. It's we, and and one of the great things Sanders did is he made it clear that these ideas that people have presented, like you were saying, as like fringe, radical, scary, you know, oh, or maybe like they're good ideas, but it's too soon. People aren't ready for them. No, they're ready for them. Right now, right now, yeah. Um, yeah, which makes you wonder why they don't run on them. Maybe it's like uh, the people that uh, finance some of these campaigns. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe if you run on them, you win. Like we just proved. Like I think it was like nineteen out of twenty-four. Yeah, we got a Democratic socialist candidate. Right. 
Like, I'm just, I'm telling you, I, somebody has to help make it make sense. There has to be a translator for like this neoliberal, like blind, like color blindedness, issue blindedness, and just everything blindedness. It's as, it's as if we're, as if they're wa- watching something happen through a different right. room than we are. Like everybody's watching this. All the people that supported Medicare for all won their races. Yeah. It was those who did not, that did not win those races. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much more simple than that you could explain this. Well, I think this is, I mean, just to that point, reading this tweet the belatedly that is up on the screen and, you know, I, I said this is a joke prediction we made about what a Republican light Biden would be, but it's even worse than I imagined or we imagined. And and that's Andrew Solander tweeted out per Politico for front runners for Biden cabinet include state Susan Rice, uh, AG Doug Jones, as in Alabama loser, um, HHS Michelle Lujan Grisham, transport Eric Garcetti, Commerce Meg oh, Whitman, man. Meg Whitman, who like Garcetti and Whitman is truly that's unbelievable. And also remember, like, like okay. Susan Rice is a hawk and she'll be terrible as secretary of state. But there was a time when Democrats like that's understandable and unfortunate and something we have to fight against because war is bad and militarism is bad. And she blamed George Floyd protests on oh, the Russians. On so whatever, yeah, she's like, like a, she's a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But like there was a time when <laughs> Meg Whitman and Kasich were not welcomed like that. Like Dems knew like they weren't going to be running with you know, they'd be running against uh, Meg Whitman. But and I guess Kasich isn't on the list. He's just become a spokesman for this. Yeah, I mean, I mean these, could, these could change. Not that they're changing. Yeah. Better, but right. like, yeah. Health and Human uh, Services, I, I guess the other person in the running is um, Mitt Romney. Yeah. And I look at, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be wrong. Was it is, is Heidi Camp? We're talking about Senator Heidi Camp. Is she Heidi Heidi Camp? Yeah. Um, she yeah. also voted for Brett Kavanaugh. Like I'm just like on a whole other you know situation here. I mean, I, I can't even. I mean, I will, somebody, I will, I, you know, I'll say as someone from Los Angeles that I actually yeah, do Garcetti like really the uh, the Eric Garcetti transport pick because he won't be our mayor anymore hey, if that hey, happens. Hey, so you know, yeah. there are there are you know silver I heard linings. Something about something about somebody was trying to offer. Andrew Cuomo, a, a, a cabinet seat. And I said, listen, I'm not yeah. old, Katie. Yeah, I'll take him. Take him. I'm but, I, I, but I won't, I want to see the, as long as he'll make some more posters about how he defeated COVID. Listen, oh, take, them, take them yeah. all. Take them. Yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, again, you know, this is, these are the kinds of things that I, th- I think are important and which is very sad because we are kind of politically inclined people. So we kind of understand who these people are and what their right. story is. But the average American people who go to the polls do not know a lot about these people. So they might be looking at this and saying, sounds like some smart people names. I right. don't, you know, it sounds like somebody did their homework about it. And this is, in fact, what all progressives were saying, like the people that helped you win. I did not see a single progressive in that whole transition no. team. No. Um, I did not see any of these people, none of these people that you have listed political. I, saw, I read another article from another news site about some other predictions, not one. Um, and it's just like, I'm just, I'm already getting trolled. But you know what, Katie, I need that because in order for us as progressives to mobilize the people yeah. on the street, I have to be like, I told you so. Right. There it is, right there. <laughs> right. Now let's get to the street. Yeah. Well, um, yes, uh, some Chomsky is my homeboy, right? Linda is fantastic by her book, which is very true. Uh, really recommend that. It's a great book. Uh, it's very, um, what's the word? Rich, like personal, moving, all that stuff. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. 
and yeah, you should be our, you should be our organizer or what is it? The Katie Halper shows, um, organizer in chief, resident organizer. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And also we didn't even talk about this. We'll have to talk about this later, but another time, cause I know you're extremely busy and I'm also like super grateful that you came on because you are, you're an organizer. Plus you have a family. It's like, I don't even, I can't even like remember that my tea. I got two cats. Katie. Yeah. yeah. I went to Costco today, Katie. How was it? I like, I like pushed the cart in Costco and I was looking around like I'm a normal person in Costco yeah. and I felt really great. <laughs> wow. You know, I just realized the, was it with you, Jack? I just realized that Costco, like someone said Costco, cause we all say Costco, but it has cost in it. Like, Oh, you didn't know that? I never realized that. Wow. It's New Yorkers. We, you know, we, we, we exactly. Wanna, right. We, we didn't it. realize <laughs> unless you're saying cost, I couldn't hear it. It was funny because Costco was the last time I was in Costco, believe it or not, was when I was doing petition signatures for Bernie and I was with my mom in Costco and I was getting signatures in the Costco line at Costco. And my mother was like, "Okay, lady, listen, I'm with it. I like I'm a Bernie too. People are trying to shop at Costco. And in fact, I went to the one in Sunset Park in Brooklyn and you should have saw me. I came back out. I took a picture, posted online. Costco is the place to go get some petition signatures. Let me really? tell you. Really? All right. Oh, yeah. yeah, listen, yeah. I what came about, out with about four sheets. What about BJ's and Sam's? I'm not a BJ Sam kind of girl. Those are a little yeah. more far out for me. I'm 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 close to Costco around here. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out a way to, you know, send my, you know, I want other people with different tastes to be able to do their their petitioning there. Um <laughs> and uh next time you're on, I want to talk to you about like the interesting uh muslim jewish bernie uh it's like so cool that there's such an affinity and uh i mean as a as a secular as a progressive leftist jew it's really nice to have be able to point to sanders like i used to because i'm not religious but i'm very you know my jewish background has really informed me uh and i used to say when people would ask me like I used to say like I was a Woody Allen Jew, but that's not a good reference for many reasons. And now, right, like problematic. So then I got Bernie. So for selfish reasons, one of the other reasons I love him, not just because I love his politics and how like I love his accent. He sounds like one of my family members, but um, or it could sound like one of your family members, Linda, honestly. I mean, your cousin's age, I think, probably like your generation. Um, But uh, it's like really great that he I mean, it's amazing watching him be better on that issue than any other senator. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say this because I know other people here who are in our kind of ideological wave. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. What I felt in the last weekend is more so I was just feeling so sad. Like, I was happy a little bit. I was like, yes, we defeated the fascist, something to be proud of. And no one should take that away from right. us, the movement or from our communities, particularly marginalized people. But I'm so sad. When I look at Senator Bernie Sanders, there's this one photo that somebody posted. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Sean King. But it's a po- it's a it's a photo of like, little Bernie Sanders, he's really small and he's like really far away in a picture. It looks like he's about to get on stage somewhere to do an event for, for Biden. And I just look at him and say like all the things that this guy has done, the political risks he has taken, the amount of times that he has came out on a limb. And one of the things I will never forget about him, Katie, is that in the darkest moments that Ilhan Rashida and I have had, uncle Bernie Sanders picks up that phone, you know, uncle Bernie, Mm -hmm. One time, I remember during a really, really traumatic time for Ilhan, he literally went all the way back to Washington, D.C., where she was and went out to dinner. He took her to dinner, like to be in wow. a place with her. She had That's really touching. 
that's who he is. And I remember when I was with him, there's a photo that I posted also of him when I went to Michigan for a primary, you know, rally with Rashida. I was just standing, you know, it was like at a high school and we were, I was just standing in the hallway. I was talking to somebody else and he just came up to me and even you could even tell by the picture where he has me like from my neck, like around my neck, like, oh, like being like, how are you holding up, kid? You doing well? You doing yeah. well, like trying to give me a pep talk? And I'm like, who are you? Like, why yeah, are you I know. so magnificent and remarkable and amazing and so wonderful and human? Anyway, so I've been um, sending messages to the whole Sanders family, particularly yeah. to Uncle Bernie, saying we love you. And we would not really have gotten here without him. I yeah. mean, he put his differences aside. He knew what the most smart, marginalized people were going to be heard even more. And that's what he, he reaffirmed once again who he is yeah. and what he stands for. And to know that in the history books are going to write about how overwhelmingly the Muslim American community in the United States of America, I'm talking about like 95% were in support of Bernie Sanders. And the one thing that one day I'll send you a video of this, Katie, there was uh, he came to one of our largest uh, Islamic conventions in the primaries. And there were a lot of people and people that came and we had high level celebrities, you know, all kinds of stuff. When Uncle Bernie Sanders came into that room with about 4,000 people who were sitting in that convention center, that roar in that room, I was like, yo, who did Beyonce come? Like, what's yeah. happening here? And then they were like, oh, no, that's Bernie. That that love that our community had for him, like it, when I when I figured out it was Bernie because I was volunteering outside of the convention room, I literally had tears in my eyes seeing how much love our people had, how much our kids looked up to him. So anyway, we love you, Uncle Bernie. Hopefully you watch the Katie Halper show. Yes. Gotta come um, on. Yeah. Right. I got chills. Not to be corny. I got goosebumps. Listen, but whatever. Yeah. Every time I talk about Uncle Bernie. Yeah. Love you. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much, really. And uh, and it's so important also to all these people who are like, oh, Muslims and Jews, like they hate each other. They can't get along. It's like such a it's like such an important thing. Oh my God, the photo of him with um is it Ilhan Omar's daughter where he's picking her up? <gasps> that was like that's Uncle Bernie, listen. <laughs> What is wrong with people who hate him? Like, it's just pathological. Like, even if you don't like his politics, how on earth can you not? Let me just tell you. Class solidarity is a fucking trip is really what it is. I don't cancel anybody. I'm not, I'm not, you know me, I'm not into cancel culture. I don't, you see me, I don't engage in it at all. But if you hate Uncle Bernie Sanders, cancel. Hashtag (laughs) I agree. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great policy. Yeah. That's my line. That's my line in the sand. Yeah. Well, Linda, again, thank you so much. Thank and, you, everyone. Um, Thank yeah, you. and come back and let thank us know when you. your things are less secret. You know, so oh, we know yeah. what going to be good, Katie. Yeah. Be proud. Great. Thank Bye. you so much. Good to talk to you. Bye. That was great. Isn't she an amazing speaker? Really, really, yeah. Thank you again so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show, and see you next time. The Katie Halper Show is edited by Ted Reedy and Dorsey Shaw. Sometimes one of them, sometimes the other. Our theme song is by the band Cordoba. And they have a new album out called Spectre. You can find Chuck Rocha on Twitter at Chuck Rocha. It's pretty easy. And you can follow Linda Sarsour at L Sarsour. And you can follow Jack on Twitter at Jack Allison LOL.